0: Well, I'm so excited you're here for uh, part four of this amazing study through the book of First Peter. I'm so surprised most people have not read this powerful little book. After all, it, it was written by the most famous of all of the people who actually walked with Jesus, Peter, the most famous of all the apostles. And he has something powerful to say. In fact, we're going through all of these little prescriptions that he writes for people who are hurting, who have difficulty, who are feeling misunderstood. And today is no exception. It's going to be A great morning as we unpack the next series of verses. If you'll turn in your Bible to 1 Peter, the first chapter, beginning in verse 22, and I'm going to read right into the third verse of the second chapter. I want to thank uh, an incredible Bible teacher named Chuck Swindoll, who has been an example for all of us for years. He's written many books, and he's preached, written commentaries and preached messages on this book. It's so profound, we've taken the outline and His messages as the heart of this whole series. But today, these verses are going to come alive in your heart today, and I want you to look at them as if God were speaking directly to you. Follow along on the outline in your program or on the screen or in your Bible. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply from your heart. For you've been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living Word of God. Now, as the Scriptures say, people are just grass. Beauty comes and goes. People come and go. They fade like grass. They go away. But the Word of God remains forever. And that Word is the good news that was preached to you. So in light of the good news that's come to you, get rid of all evil behavior, like take it out to the trash and you expect to never see it again, get rid of evil behavior and then he lists what he's talking about. Get rid of deceit and hypocrisy and jealousy and all unkind speech like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you will what? You'll grow You'll grow to the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. These are powerful words. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, touch every person who hears your word today. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. I pray that you'd allow people to hear you talk to them. Living word of God, become alive in this moment. And do do your thing, have your way. We hold nothing back. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the most profound comments ever made about Christians was made by a spy. The Emperor Hadrian sent a spy to look at these strange people called Christians about the time this book was circulating. And he went out and he studied them and he listened to them and he talked to them and he came back and he wrote a rather mixed report. But his closing line is what put him... Into eternal uh, history, and we know his words. He said these words Behold how they love one another. That was his conclusion. He said, Behold how they love one another. I rather suspect that if he was sent to spy on the church today, that's not what he would say. I think he would say, Wow, look at how, behold how they hurt one another. Behold how they attack each other. Behold how they judge one another. Behold how they shred and rip and cut and withdraw from each other. Behold how they divide. In fact, he might say I'm kind of surprised people who should be brothers and sisters in the same family act like enemies towards each other. And this should not be so. In the Civil War, the greatest general of the Civil War's name was Stonewall Jackson, and there was a time where he took command of a U of a new company that was so divided the people were so mutinous against their leaders that the the captains and the men wanted to even kill each other and he took command of this group and he said to them gentlemen the enemy is over there the enemy's that way and I think that if Jesus would come and talk to his church to his people today I think he'd probably say the exact same thing the enemy's out there Peter, who's writing this book, is taking us to that very conclusion. In the chapter 5, when we get there, he's going to say, wake up, be alert, your adversary, the devil, your great adversary, your great enemy, is out there roaring like a roaring lion. He's prowling around looking for someone whom he may devour. And Peter understands how important it is that we need to have um, a new perspective And he's writing to us from his own personal experience. He knows what it means to fall apart under pressure. He knows what it means for a team that's united and together. He knows what it feels like to have that all just fall apart. Peter's life was defined, if you remember, by this significant night, the last night that they ate together with Jesus, that last supper. Everything changed in Peter's life. And he would tell you about that night. He would say, We had been together for three years. We were the closest followers of Jesus. We were his leaders. And we were far from together that night. Because you see, under pressure, under pain, under criticism, when we're confused, when we're tired and we're angry and we're lonely, all of us do things that we never think that we would do. Love wears thin and love had run thin that night. In fact, they hated each other at that moment. There was so much criticism going on. The little group was divided. They're going like, yeah, two of the guys tried to talk about that they were the greatest, and we don't like them, and then they got their mother involved, and we don't like that, and then uh, one of them's, you know, plotting to betray, and he's dropping all of these things that he doesn't like, and we thought Jesus was going to take over Jerusalem, and he didn't, and so we're frustrated. We're tired. The people that were supposed to set up the Passover, they forgot the details. Nobody Was there to serve us, the guy to wash our feet wasn't there. You could have cut the air with a knife. They're all upset. They're together, they're in the same building, but they really don't like each other. Does that sound familiar? And uh, Jesus noticed all of this. And in the middle of all of that going on, even knowing what he was going to do, he got up from dinner and he picked up a towel and he poured some water in a basin. And you know what happens next. He began to wash their feet. This so embarrassed the disciples. I want you to see this clearly before we get into the verses. Look at this background in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 12. When he'd washed their feet and he put on his outer garments and he resumed his place at the table after he'd washed all their feet, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? And this is not begging the obvious question. You understand that I washed your feet. Verse 15 tells us, here's what I did for you. I gave you an example by doing this. This is how I want you to treat one another. As I have done to you, so you should do to one another. He says in verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, and you would think that he would say, so you ought to wash my feet. Like, I did this for you, you should do this for me, but that's not what he says. And Peter would have said, you know, out of embarrassment, I would have gladly washed his feet. I mean, Jesus is easy to love. Jesus is so wonderful and he was such a good leader and I, I can't believe that he washed my feet. I would have done anything for him, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, as your Lord and your, as your teacher, as I have done this for you, as I've washed your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. Yeah, but, but Judas's feet? And Jesus washed Judas' feet. Yeah, the one that I know is going to betray me and hurt me and stab me in the back. And Jesus still loved him. And he said, you see what I've done for you tonight? I want you to always remember this. And Judas left. And after he left, Jesus pulled them together for that next hour. And he says the whole thing in so many ways. He kept saying the same thing. Guys, this is the whole message. A new commandment, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And he kept saying this over and over again. This is the whole thing. And then he took them out into the Garden of Gethsemane and and he began to pray for them. And the prayer of Jesus, really the Lord's Prayer, the real Lord's Prayer, that other prayer is the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. He taught us to pray. But this is actually Jesus' prayer The longest prayer in the whole Bible by Jesus. And it's amazing what he prays for. He prays, notice this in verse 9 of chapter 17 of John. He says, Lord, tonight I'm not praying for the world that they'll get their act together. I'm praying for these that you've given me, my disciples, the ones that belong to you. I'm departing from this world. They're staying in this world. I'm coming to you. Now, Holy Father... You've given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that, and circle so that in your Bible or in your notes, where there's a ton of little so that's in this passage. Protect them by your name so that, what will happen? So that they will be united just as we are. Father, nothing ever broken our relationship. Nobody got between us. Nobody ever separated us. And just like we have never been apart, Lord, I pray that these guys would never be apart. I pray that they will be one. They will be a perfect unit just as we are. And then what's amazing to me, friends, is that he prays for you and for me. I mean, he actually, on the night that he was betrayed and about to be beaten and whipped and crucified, he prays for you and he prays for me. Look what he says in verse 20. I'm not just praying for these guys, these remaining disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I'm in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I pray that they'll be one so that the world will believe that, that I came from you. I've given them glory that you gave to me so that they can be one as we are one. Verse 23, I'm in them, you're in me. Look at this. May they experience such perfect unity. May they be, in other words, may they be perfected into a unit. May they be a perfect team, a perfect united team, so that, here it is, two things, so that the world will know that you sent me, and number two, that the world will know that you love them as much as you love me. See, they, these, they didn't understand the prayer. It blew their mind. They couldn't get their head around it. Jesus, we understand that you love us. We're your disciples. We understand that you even love the Jewish people. But, but the world, you don't love the world. They, they have their other gods. They don't follow you. They're, those people, them, are they're, those different people, they're, those Palestinians, they, they're different from us. And Jesus is going, no, I pray, Lord, that one day that they will be one. So that the whole world, Jesus has this inclusive, this incredible vision, so that the whole world will know that I came from you and that the whole world will know that God loves them. I pray that people will come together, that people's jaws would drop. What business do they have together? How could these people get along? What do these people have in common? Behold how they love one another, Aristides says when he came across the Christians a few years later. We don't understand how Palestinians and Jews and white and black and and young and old and religious people and non-religious. How does this work? How do you love each other? And nothing's changed. We live in one of the most divided times the world has ever seen. Don't you know that you just say a different opinion from somebody else? You know what this world does today? I hate you. You say something that someone doesn't agree with, I unfriend you. I reject you. Uh, I, I, I don't like you because you have a different opinion than me. That's the kind of world we live in now, where everybody is divided into little fragments and little cliques and little clubs. But Jesus is dreaming of a day when his followers are so closely united together. They're such a perfect circle, a perfect unit. You can't even get a wedge in between them. And, and, and what's amazing is, is that, that they're white and they're black and they're Asian, and they're Latino, and they are rich, and they're poor, and they are uh, people that come from from different religious backgrounds, and people that voted differently in the last election, and they came together, and they're one. What a vision Jesus had. See, religious people have the hardest time with that because they're convinced that they know what God is like, and they've come up knowing a certain way that he's like, and it's very hard to admit that there are other streams and other ways and they find it difficult to accept other people from different traditions now there's not a coach in all of Indiana or even in the United States they would say this they would say the thing that they fear the most is when their team turns on each other when the when the members of the team start to fight or, or they won't get along or they start to rip each other down that's when we know we have no hope it's over But guys, if we could just come together, if we could just come and become that perfect team, we could go all the way. There's nothing that we couldn't do. And see, I think that's what Jesus is trying to get across when he said, Hey, the whole thing, this isn't some little minor little lesson on loving each other. This is the essential message of Christianity. A great commandment, a new commandment I give to you, my followers. Love one another so that, so what? So that the world will believe that Jesus is sent from God and so that the world will know God loves them. He doesn't pray for the world to get their act together. He doesn't pray for them to straighten out. He prays that the believers will get it, that the believers will act right, that the believers will will love each other and that they will be so perfected as a unit and as a group with all their differences that the world will, wow, behold how they love one another. Maybe Jesus was sent from God and maybe Jesus loves me. And so now we can go to 1 Peter and read these verses and understand them better. We've been going through this book where Peter says in verse 1, I'm writing to those of you who feel so criticized and persecuted. You feel like a foreigner even in your own country. Verse 6, I'm writing to those of you who feel like you're enduring difficult trials and hardship. Verse 7, I'm writing to you who feel like you're going through testing by fire. I mean... You're going through a fiery trial. That's horrible. That's hard. And you see, when we go through times like that, that's when love runs in. That's when we don't get along with other people. We get short tempered and irritable and we don't like differences and we just want things to be safe and normal. And he's saying, You guys, I get what you're going through. In fact, he writes in verse 14, we learned last week, about people who. In the midst of that pain and persecution, they run back into their old ways, their old habits, the old ruts. When they get under pain and pressure, they, they look for the comforts and the ways to deal with pain that everybody has. And he writes, be disciplined. Don't conform to the former lusts. But, but there's a better way. And this is where we come to in our little study. Verse 22, look what he says. He says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So, so don't go back to those old ways of just trying to meet your needs with all these substitutes. Don't fall back in the old ruts, like when you're mistreated and when, it, when you're in pain and you're so highly susceptible in those moments to turn uh, to back to your old vices, your ways of meeting your needs. Don't do that. Uh, learn a new way. There's a better way. So now show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters don't go back to those substitutes those those ways of meeting your needs those old lusts they don't fill you up what you're really looking for is love anyway so love each other sincerely deeply as brothers and sisters when you experience the true love of God from your brother and sister you won't need the substitutes anymore you understand what he's saying Love one another deeply from your heart. It's the only way. He says, I give you a new commandment, a better way. Love one another. Love each other deeply from your heart. And look at the emotion. He's saying, love each other. It's going to take something from you. You've got to give this. This is a sacrificial thing. All love is sacrificial. (laughs) Love is patient and love is kind and Love is not boastful or self-seeking, as 1 Corinthians tells us. Love is not keeping a record of all of the wrongs. Love is not piling up uh, evil to impute on another. Love is not jealous. It's sacrificial. It's the kind of love he says, if you give that to others and they give it back to you, don't go back to those old ways. I have a better way. When we started this church years ago and we were sitting around saying, okay, what is this church going to be? Why are we doing this? Why why Heartland Church? You know what we said? This church exists to love people well. To lead them into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We didn't say to love God well. Why? Well, not because we wouldn't do that. I mean, that's, that's implied. That, of course we're going to do that. Of, of course we love Jesus. He's easy to love. He loved us. He sacrificed his life for us. He gave himself for us. Of course we're going to love him. What would be really remarkable, though, that if we could love people well. If you say you love God, but you don't love your brother or sister, the love of God's not in you. So if you know, can move mountains with your faith, if you know all the Bible and everything in it and can you know, speak prophetically, but you don't have love, it's nothing. So love people well. Love each other. That's, that's going to speak volumes about what we really believe and about what we really are after that's stunning when you see it in action it's surprising it's so eloquent when you see it lived out that you love people well and that's what we've been trying to do together that's why heartland is this amazing family of people from all different backgrounds and and ethnicities and denominations and ages multi-generational, multi-ethic coming together, people finding the guilt-free zone, people finding acceptance, people for unconditional acceptance, people providing, receiving help, people receiving support, people experiencing the sacrificial generosity of others who say, not my preference, it's for you. Not, not, not my way, your way, I'm here for you. Not just on Sunday mornings, not just as we meet together, but really the power, the beauty of what happens, happens during the week around kitchen tables. Eighty-nine different groups meeting all over Indianapolis. Hundreds and hundreds of people meeting in homes, trying to love each other well. You should be a part of one, because everybody needs that kind of support. Everybody needs that. You see, it's when we're sitting there together and we're real, you know, I can't imagine what this is like, but, but there's someone showing up at a group this week because they're going through the horrific pain of a divorce and they've lost all their self-respect and they've lost all of their, who am I? What good am I anymore? I, I, I really can't even understand, I don't think the loneliness and the sense of rejection that somebody feels. But they show up at that group where someone says, I've been through what you've been through, and I want to tell you there's hope, and Jesus is going to be there for you, and there's a new life ahead, and you're going to be all right, and we love you. And they show up just to hear those words as their dignity starts to come back. It's loving people well. Or a group where, you know, a guy shows up or a lady shows up, and there's this there's this habit that's so self-defeating. You can't stop, and I'm dry today, but tomorrow I could be right back exactly where I was. I'm one day away, but when I come here and I experience the love of these people, I don't need that. I'm good. I'm good for another day. And it's that support and that love that keeps you going. This is how church was meant to be, that we would gather together to praise the Lord, but we would live our lives together loving people well if you're not experiencing that, I feel sad for you. I want you to have that. I want you to know what it's like. I want you to be able to give that. I need that. I'm no different from any of you. I had one of our elders come this past couple of weeks, put his arms around me and say, Darren, I just want to tell you something. I love you and I'm in your corner. You know what that's like to hear that as a pastor. I love you, <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> or one of my guys in my life small group and he writes me this letter that's so powerful and filled with scripture and it's so prophetic he knows me so well and he encourages me and I've lived on that letter for two weeks and I say thank you God for people who express who take the time to write out their love for me I know so many pastors who don't have that I know people who don't. I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the love that we have in this church. I feel the love you have for me. I feel the love of our elders. I feel the love of our staff. I hope you know the love I have for you. But I know a lot of pastors, and I have a lot of friends, and they don't have anything like this. Story of one who would say, Darren, my whole life is basically, my church is a big fight all the time. People criticizing me, people comparing me to somebody else, people telling me that they don't like this or that, I don't like the music, or people not getting their way so they withhold their tithe to manipulate, people who are saying things, you know, behind my back and for prayer reasons, but designed to to lower their confidence in me as a leader. And he says, I never once heard him say, I love you, pastor. (laughs) So-called Christians. Is that how you treat a Pastor is that how I mean but that's reality 8,000 pastors in America leave the ministry every month right now no lie either discouraged or disheartened or run out by their congregations my brothers my sisters this should not be but I'm so grateful that that what God is doing here is just amazing because here you have so much diversity here you have age diversity and race diversity and denominational diversity and people coming from all these different backgrounds and we're saying we're trying to come together to obey the command of Jesus so that we could, we could love each other well. Now think about what we're saying. Age diversity, meaning that there's different styles and different preferences and we pierce different things and we tattoo things. <laughs> think about the 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 way we were raised and the places we were raised and the cultures we were raised in and the, the color of our skin and, and the way we think and the way we voted in the last election that's different from other Christians. And think about, um, um, well, there's just so many things, just, just our denominational streams. And we're, we're saying, we're going to come together and love each other well. My friends, that is a recipe for 100% misunderstanding. I don't want to lie to you what we're trying to accomplish together, there is a 100% chance that you will be offended or you're going to be misunderstood at some point along the way. But Jesus said, when they see the way you love each other, when the world sees that, I mean, if we could be a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church that loves people well, that leads them to a relationship with Jesus, that launches people out to, to keep doing the same thing in communities all over the city, if we could do that, And if we could buy into that, I think the world might say, wow. Because we live in a world that knows nothing like that, that can't even come together to decide a single decision in Congress. And yet we could come together because why? We are the hope of the world. We're the people that Jesus says, if you love each other well and be my disciples, the world will know that I'm from God and the world will believe that God loves them. I think it's worth trying. And that's what Peter's going to say right now. He's going to write out four things for us so that we can... This is how you do this. This is how you overcome the misunderstandings. This is what you focus on. So the first thing he says in verse 23 is that we are children of the same father. We have the same father, that, that we're really brothers and sisters. We're actually in the family, that we're not just born into our human families. But look what he says for you have been born again. Not just to this life that'll quickly end. I mean, you've actually been born again. You're part of a new family that that when you meet somebody else who believes in Jesus, they may be completely different in every possible way, age, color, race, background, denomination but they've submitted their life to Jesus. You just found a long-lost brother or a long-lost sister, and you have to make room in your life for them. Now, think about all the different ways that we are born And all the different ways we've come into this world, I mean, we're all born the same way, but I mean, think about the diversity, think about the families, that some people are raised by the mother that bore them, and others will never know who their mother is. Some are raised in a family with a father who gave them life, and others will never know their father, or maybe in a home, five or six homes, and four and five fathers, There will be some who will be adopted and some who will be raised in the family of origin. There will be some who uh, are born naturally and some who are born cesarean. There are some who will be born where the mother had lots of anesthesia and some where the mother had no anesthesia. My children were born into a family where their mother had a husband who needed anesthesia. Our first son was so, he was 10 pounds, he was big, and they said it was going to have to come cesarean, and they took me, I was 23 years old, and I went into the delivery, the operating room, and I saw the whole thing, and I remember distinctly the anesthesiologist putting his hand on me and saying, sir, you need to relax. (laughs) And I said to him, you relax, buddy. (laughs) I needed to relax. I needed anesthesia. But, you know, we come into this world all these different ways. I mean, just think, that's just a few of the ways, but we're all so different, and we come from these different cultures and different traditions, and yet we have the same Father. The Bible says don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. you know what that means? That means don't keep conforming to the pattern where the wealthy just relate with the wealthy, and white people with white people, and black people with black people, and Asians with Asians, and Latinos with Latinos, and the Republicans with Republicans, and Democrats with Democrats, and the fact that we have these different denominations. He says... Don't do that. That's not the way of the kingdom. You are in the family of God. I am preaching the word of God to you this morning. All right, I'm telling you the truth. You don't have to live where, in a world where you have to have agreement on every issue in order to be together. Oh, you believe that? Well, I hate you. That's the world we live in, brothers and sisters. It should not be so. You are. You have the same father, your brothers and your sisters. So you have to love one another. The second thing, he says this. We have access to the same source of power. We have access to the living word of God. Look what he says, verse 23. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Right in the margin of your Bible or on your notes, write the word Jesus. Jesus. Before you think that he's talking about because we have the Bible, well, that's kind of right, but it's not really right because he says the eternal living Word of God. Don't forget this is Peter that's writing you, right? Peter who sat there at the table when Jesus said, "Uh, this is my body which is broken for you. Uh, Jesus who said, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. John sat at that same table and he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. So we have the Word of God, but this is a shadow. This is just the, this is the The lifeless words, but the word of God is Jesus, the eternal word. And we need to get Jesus inside of us. And so he says that, you know, people come and go and people are like grass. They're like flowers that fade and grass that burns up and and doesn't last. There are so many malnourished, fading, dying Christians because they have no word inside of them. And I don't mean that they just know the Bible. I mean, they have no Jesus inside of them. And what I mean is, is you've got to come to realize that you can be exposed to this Bible... You can be listening to messages and read a verse here and there your whole life and it can never change you. There's no guarantee just because you're around the Bible that it's going to make you like Jesus. There comes a point in everybody's life where they say, I need to become like him. And I want to consume him. I want to take him in. And so this becomes a vehicle. And the Bible says that, and Jesus, Jesus said that the letter of the law just kills anyway. There's so many people that just want to take this word and just throw it around like a a club. Anytime you hear somebody say, well, what's your position on, name the issue. That's what they tried to do with Jesus. You know what the living word said? (laughs) Well, who are we talking about? What's their name? You see, the word of God became flesh. It had eyes to see people and it could touch people and heal them and it could listen to what they were going through. And until the word becomes alive in you, are you understanding? Are you following what I'm saying? because you're just kind of looking at me this morning. Do uh, you understand that the word of God has to get inside of you so that you can, the word can be flesh in you? You can actually you know, listen to a person and love them and care for them and apply the word that's in you to them. We have access to that. If, if you'll let Jesus take over your life and you'll say, Lord, let your word come into me, this whole thing, let Jesus come on the inside and let me be the living Jesus towards others. That's what this is all about. Don't let this just become an exercise in just having a rule book or letting letting it turn you into a Pharisee. I see people who sit in church year after year, and they know the Bible, but they don't know Jesus. There's no guarantee just because you're sitting there, you're hearing this today going, this is changing my life. And someone's going, okay. Okay. And keeps on living in resistance to the Holy Spirit. Keeps on living again, hurting their family, hurting the church. See, you've got to come to the point in your life where you say, you know what? I need Him, and I need to become like Him. We have all have access to that same source of power. We can take that in. The third thing He says here is, lest you become proud and think that you're better than somebody else. He says this: we all struggle with the same stuff. All of us have the same base problem. And it kind of equalizes us and lowers us. We all struggle with the same problems. That's why he says in the beginning of verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Yep, us, the church, the Christians, get rid of the evil behavior that we have. Get done with, what is the evil behavior? He says, you guys, get done with deceit, get done with hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. You want to know what's keeping us from really coming together? There's your list. And it's not just a list from man. This is a list from God to you and for me. He says deception, hypocrisy, jealousy, unkind speech. Get rid of them from your life like you're throwing out the trash, never to see it again. Get rid of deception. Get rid of those little half-truths and the, the lies we tell in such a way to get people to do what we want them to do. Get rid of being two-faced, one way around one and one way around the other. Get rid of deception. He says, get rid of hypocrisy, which is the putting on of a mask or the impersonation of someone else. Get rid of trying to look like you're so holy and you're so perfect and that you have no problems and that you are the end all of what it means to be a Christian. Get rid of that. Be real. Don't be fake. Don't put on a mask. The problem is, is that hypocrites are pretending, right? So they don't really know forgiveness. They don't really know joy and they don't know the power of God. And so if you really want that, you have to be real. He says, get rid of jealousy. Wow. If that doesn't hit all of us, he nails us all there. The church has a real hard time with that because we struggle when other people get something that we don't. You know what the definition of, of, of jealousy is? It's painfully being aware of the advantage that somebody else has and secretly wanting the same advantage. And so we can't be joyful. We can't be happy with those who rejoice. You see, it's a skill that we need to learn how to just have joy with people who have joy instead of just wanting what they have and and coveting what they have and, and being upset that they're getting something that I'm not and all that wasted time. He says, get rid of jealousy. And the last thing he says is get rid of all all unkind speech, which is basically evil talk, ripping people down—you know, the stuff that's said when the other person isn't there to defend themselves or to set the story straight, or uh, saying things where where we're really what we're trying to do is is bring the 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 opinion of a person down about somebody else. You know what I'm talking about? That that speech, that slander, that's designed to to discourage or to bring somebody low. Now, friends, he's saying, get rid of this. And I'm asking you, we need to make a pact together. If we're going to be the people of God, we have to make a pact that we are rid of this, that this is not becoming for God's children. And we say, Lord, as far as it rests on me, I will have nothing to do with these things anymore. When I find out that I'm angry with somebody and when I'm critical and I'm ugly, towards somebody, you know what's really going on? I got a problem in my own heart. I got a problem in my heart. If I'm really going to soul search and look at it, there's something wrong inside of me and so the apostle Paul he does great surgery on my heart through a passage in Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. Every Christian should memorize this. You should memorize this and get your children to memorize it. Look what he says here in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or from vain conceit. Do you want to know what's going wrong in relationships? You wanna know what's ripping us apart? You know what's keeping us from being a team? Right here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. It's not about you. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. If we would just memorize that and make that our rule of life, it's so simple, it's so basic, you want your family to come together, live those verses. You want, you know, you're in a leadership position at your office on some board, you're trying to figure out what's going wrong, where did we lose the unity, has something to do with that verse. Um, In our family, we've taught these basic things since our children were very little, We teach them in our daycare. This verse basically says stuff that's so simple that we would tell a little child, share everything. Let others go first. Don't take things that aren't yours. Put stuff back where you found it. (laughs) Say sorry when you hurt somebody. Forgive them. Put the lid down after yourself. (laughs) Flush. (laughs) Hold hands when you go out into the world. Stick together. I mean, this is basic stuff. In our family, we've taught this. I've told my, my, my kids every day before school, we gather together. We always sit down for about a half hour. We talk, we pray. And then I finish up, I say, okay, guys, we're a unit. We're a family. What you do today reflects on me, and what I do today will reflect on you. And we may not have all our act together, but we love each other. And we're there for each other. We care for one another. And so I finish off this speech by saying, today we're going to be leaders, not followers. No more blood-sucking gossip. That's actually a quote. I say that every day. No blood-sucking gossip. We're going to be leaders, not followers. Because that's the environment they're going into. They're going into school, right? Come on, you guys in school, you know what I'm talking about? The blood-sucking gossip, right? Well, it's there. So I say, hey, you're going to be leaders, not followers. Rise above that. Set the tone. And then we pray together. We stick our hands in the middle and we say, go Sheskies. And we do that every day. And I think we should do the same thing. The enemy's over there. Behold how they love one another. Now what's this going to take? He's going to give us the last thing. It's going to take a decision. Here's the decision. We have to have the same goal. And I want to put this as a vision in front of all of us that we're going after. There's a goal of what we should look like together, but there's a personal goal. And we have the same personal goal. Look at this. Verse 2. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. Notice what? So that you'll grow. See, that's the goal. That we're not going to just be immature, like reactive. You know, people with a bandwidth of love about this big. We're going to grow so that we have this huge bandwidth to love all kinds of people. That we will grow now that we've tasted of the Lord's kindness. Look what he says. He says that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. And Peter, who walked with Jesus, who, under, who, who saw him do everything that he did and witnessed it all, when he recalls the thing about Jesus that he remembers the most, it was the kindness of of his lord he was so kind he was so kind and loving that's what kept us coming back that's why we wanted to follow him you see when the world sees the way we love each other it's going to be a taste of the lord's kindness too and they're going to say i don't know what these people have but i want what they have i want to i've tasted of something really good behold how they love one another do you receive what i'm saying today do you understand what i'm talking about It's time for us to come together. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Who is the Holy Spirit talking to you about? Who in the family of God needs to have a word of encouragement from you this week? Who needs to hear what you have to say? I mean, you need to not just think it, but you should do it. You should say how much you love them and how much you care and what they mean to you and and do that. Who is the Holy Spirit talking to you about? I pray that a few months from now we'll take this to a whole nother level. Behold how those people love one another. Let me pray for you. Will you bow your heads for a moment? Let me lead you through this. Pray for the person God has brought to your mind. Pray that you will have the right words to say, the right timing, the time when it can make the most impact. God, use me to speak a word of encouragement, maybe even write it down this week I want to pray for the person who feels really lonely and isolated right now because some untrue things have been said about you and you feel pretty rejected and hurt I know how you feel and we all do everybody in this room has felt that at some point Lord I pray that you would give a certain degree of supernatural comfort to the person who feels like they're completely misunderstood and the information is wrong but Lord, I also pray that you'd give all of us a little perspective about this because truly we've all sinned ourselves. We, we've we all been jealous and we've all let deception come out of our mouths. All of us have said unkind things to others. We've all been hypocritical. And so before we can judge too far, Lord, let's look at our own heart today. Would you do that? Would you just look into your own heart and say something like this? I need you, Jesus Christ, to be in my life. I'm so empty and I'm trying to fill it with so many different things. And I'm sorry for using deceptive words to others and for my own hypocrisy and my own pretending and my own jealousy, Lord, and all my unkind speech. I don't even know how I would stop being that way, but, but I just know that I need you. See, if you can say that, The Holy Spirit of God wants to come inside of you and give you the power and the right to become a new child of God. He wants to to come into your life. So say today, Jesus Christ, I surrender to you. I need you. Forgive me. Will you accept me? Lord, I pray for every person who's saying, yes, God, that's me. Fill them with your spirit today. Lord, I just pray for us now. I pray that we will love people well so that the whole world will know and believe that you are from God and that the world will believe that God loves them as we love one another. I pray this into reality. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.